0: Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. Alphalist is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. Sastrify is the agile SaaS procurement solution for progressive tech companies. Value proposition is reducing your SaaS spend and save time to let you focus on the essentials. Sastrify's SaaS experts negotiate with SaaS vendors such as Google, Miro, Asana, Salesforce or others the best conditions for existing contracts as well as for upcoming renewals. My company OMR is a customer of Sastrify and saves us many hours of work and reduces the spend significantly. For instance, other large customers to mention are Gorillas, Fantastic, West Wing, or Emma. Sastrify's promise is they save you more money than they cost. Special offer, which is only valid until the end of the year, is a fifty percent discount for the first three months, and you can claim it on Sastrify.com/slash. Alpha list. Welcome to the Alpha list podcast. I am your host Toby and today with me is like a quite famous guy who's in a way from my perspective like a hidden champion of the German tech ecosystem. Tech meaning engineering. He's really deep down and dirty, I would say. It's the former CTO of Rocket Internet, the co-founder of Spryker. And now he's busy with rock.tech and he's going to tell us a bit about that. It's Fabian Weisner. Welcome to the podcast. He just received, I think, 10 million in funding last year. And we are quite curious what, what he's up to. Fabian. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Tori. Nice, thank you for having me. Nice to meet you.
0: So, um, can you tell us a bit more about your your journey um, uh, you went through? It's quite an amazing journey that, um, uh, from my perspective, is is very rare for for a techie in Germany.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When I tell about my own journey, I usually start um, 2000 um, 2010. So, like 10, 11 years ago. At that time, um, I was hired by Rocket Internet. So before that, I was a freelancer doing uh, software engineering, um, for larger companies and, I uh, um, looked into, uh, my future career paths and I wanted to become a CTO at some point of time and rocket internet contacted me and they told me, Hey, you can work for us. And then you can become a CTO in one of our startups. So they offered me a really, really good career perspective. And, um, I didn't know about rocket internet before. So I was aware of them at that time. They were quite small um uh, just did a few companies like zalando and um home24 and uh yeah the the older ones will, will know about this <laughs> um and yeah that's what they actually did So they offered me a career perspective and um yeah i joined rock internet uh worked for um zalando for half a year uh my first job
0: uh, was it was it oliver sommer who contacted you that back then and uh like, did he promise you shares in one of the startups or how did that work out
1: no, that actually, it was Benedict Franke. He is, he is, uh, um, he was entrepreneur residence before he became founder of, um, Helpling. Okay. And, um, I did the job interview with Frank Bietke, who was, uh, the, the technical managing director of, uh, Rocket Internet and also of Zalando. Because, um, I actually sat there like in the
0: first, uh, Rocket Internet office and Oliver Summer was telling us like as a team, um, uh, Philip Christian and me okay, come to Berlin, uh, we just found something cool together and you just have time, like at a certain moment I call you and then you just have time to uh, bear a, uh, buy a boxer shorts and and uh, get, a, get a flat here and, and come over. <laughs> I no, promise yeah. you that. <laughs> no. He was like absolutely on fire. That's why I mentioned
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, Oliver did not talk to techies at that time. So ah, yeah. At that time there was a, yeah. <laughs> he had fun doing this. Okay. Um, so I worked for Zalando for one year. My first job, I joined uh, I joined a few months, actually two months before Christmas. And my job was to replace the Magento checkout uh, for Zalando in like six weeks before Christmas. Um, that was a, quite a lot of responsibility. Um, and yeah, it, it happened. It was quite good. So during Christmas and New Year, I received... Exceptions via email, so I was able to see what's going on in the, the shop and fix bugs. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a very interesting time. Zalando at that point was still small, to a few thousand orders per day, and um, yeah, I was able to to, uh, to look into code to make deployments. I was quite quite empowered. Um, yeah, then um, my next job, uh, I was a uh, team lead uh, when we realized Zalando Lounge. This is a um, a uh, shopping club of Zalando. Not sure if if it's still if it's still a thing. And then um, after one year working for Zalando, I became CTO. But I been, did not become CTO of a startup. What I expected, I became CTO of Rocket Internet. Um, that was because the IT team of Rocket was very small at that time. I think it was only twelve people in the PHP team and a few more in the Java team. The Java team was. Uh, had his own CTO, Flo- Florian Brick, and uh, that team was busy building uh, Groupon and CityDier. Um, So there was only these 12 guys and myself, and, um, and Oliver had very big plans. The plan at that time was to build e-commerce um, um, yeah, shops all over the world, so to replicate the success of Zalando um, in other regions. So when I started, at, uh, when I came back to Rocket, my boss, that was Christian Weiss, the managing director, told me, "Hey, um, you have four weeks of time to launch the first shop uh, in Japan, actually. Uh, and if you do it, you get five thousand euros bonus. So, <laughs> so I had I had a goal, I had a launch launch a shop, I had a I was had an incentive like five thousand euros in four weeks bonus. Good, very happy, and um, yeah, and and everything else was up to me to decide. So I created a team." Um, sent some people over to Japan, working with the local team. And then after four weeks, of course, we launched a shop based on Magento. And then four weeks later, we launched the next shop uh, in Brazil. That one is still existing. It's called Dafici. It's a very, very large e-commerce player. And then uh, a few weeks later, we launched another shop in Russia called La Moda. It's also still there. The Japanese shop is, I think, it's still also still there, but not owned by Rock internet internet anymore. It's called Lokondo. This one I think is gone because uh, at that time there was the big earthquake and um, tsunami. And so, and I think the warehouse was affected. So the entire, uh, it was at that week, they booked TV commercials. They spent a lot of time and then the earthquake happened and then everything was broken. So I think uh, the, uh, the focus moved away from the Japanese job. And, and, and how did you, I mean, um, being a CTO
0: of um, a company builder, how did you structure the teams? I mean, um, was there a tech team for each of the shops? Um, how was it structured?
1: I mean, all of this happened in the first months. So I had my initial team and I hired a few more developers and um, it was mostly ad hoc management. There was just not enough time to build a proper IT organization. So we just had a big task force team and we did what was needed, what we need to, what was actually needed. Uh, and so only a, a central team the then?
0: Uh, only only, only a central. central team, yeah. Okay.
1: Um, I also had people on ground in, in Japan when the uh, earthquake happened. That was very bad. It was the worst time of my career. <laughs> so um, I was very happy when, when I got the team back. Then after two days, and then I had the chance to replace Magento with with our own uh, system. When I, re- when I when I when um, I used when I decided to use Magento, I did that because I know that we can, with Magento we can build a shop very quickly. Uh, but it will not scale. So I was aware of this because of my experience from Salando. So, and that, and uh, nobody actually cared for what I was doing there. So what I said is, okay, Magento is a good starter, but we will replace it. Um, we implemented the entire business logic into our own code base. And that was called Bob. So um, the project was called Bigfoot and Bob was Bigfoot's own backend. <laughs> and um, so we had Magento and Bob in place. So Magento was in its in its raw state and Bob contained all our code. Um, And then over time, we also implemented a front-end. It's called Alice. So we had Alice Bob. Uh, And um, Alice is is a very lightweight framework uh, based on PHP framework. Bob was based on SEND framework. And then with with these two applications, so front-end, back-end, we replaced the Brazilian uh, Magento uh, that was used for the Fiji. The Russian one, we had no chance to replace because the Russian CTO decided to move away from um, from uh, Rocket very quickly. Um, so I was able to imp- to realize my first own shop system. Nice. Yeah. And did it make sense <laughs> from your today's perspective? I mean, it totally, totally, to- it totally makes sense. At that time, uh, we struggled a lot with the technology in in Brazil uh, because there was no AWS or. Uh, in, in uh, available so we had that is we need to that as we host in us and then are have a very low latency to south america which we tried it out but it was not working well or we use a local hosting provider and that was super expensive and magento is very slow so the the monthly bill for for hosting was was uh, five digits <laughs> um and with the new alice bob system everything was so much uh more lightweight so the 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 bills the invoice for hosting dropped a lot um, the system was much, much more uh, snappy and yeah, usability increased. And, and
0: c- could you just use like, a, just asking critically here, couldn't you just have used CDN or something in between or was that just not existing back then?
1: Yeah, a CDN doesn't really help for, um, I mean, a CDN for the static assets, of course we had that. Um, uh, but for the dynamic content of a, of a shop, that doesn't help, right? Because every customer sees a bit different uh, uh, Content, right? Other, yeah. If you have state, other, uh,
0: yeah. Uh, if if there if there is already a state, then then obviously, there was state. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, there was state, and so th- so this was one part of my job to to build a proper architecture. I think that went quite well. The other part of my job to come back to your question was the IT organization. My own organization was was that task force team. We grow that to I think forty five people at that time, and um and then parallel I hired our uh, the elite engineers for the project. So we ha- hired a CTO for for the uh, Japanese shop, at Locondo. I hired a CTO for, for La Moda, for Russia. Um, and I hired our, we didn't find a CTO, but we fi- found quite good tech leads for the Fiji at that time. Um, yeah, it, At La Moda it happened, so I, I interviewed the, the CTO. And, and we had them on ground in Berlin. We trained the CTO. And at the moment, when he came back to Russia, he decided he cuts <laughs> relationship to us. So he doesn't want to deal with the Germans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was also a surprise for me. Also learning the effect uh, that uh, when you build teams and make them independent, then they may act just on their own. So very no independently. To, to yeah. <laughs> and okay. that was actually the goal. The goal was to to kickstart these uh, these companies and then to make them independent. There was never an idea to have some... To have some um, software as a service, like architecture operated by rocket because the idea was make them independent, that they can grow independently. And then also that the companies can be, are uh, that you able to sell the companies independently, which would not be possible if they all operate on rocket internet infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so from architecture point of view and from organization point of view, we need to make sure that we isolate them very quickly. Um, even if that means that there are no synergy effects because you cannot share features among them because they are all a bit different but but the initial core
0: is still was still alice and bob and they used yes. that um was it possible for them to
1: update um from no. from version to version okay there was no update yeah but it was not part of the strategy yeah and then when this was done um then uh there was this very f- there was this very interesting time when oliver decided to build a lot of shops So, uh, so at first we had these three shops, we had half year time, and then there was another half year where I had to launch one shop per week. So (laughs) in this I did, um, we, we created, um, the architecture was prepared for this. So we were able, we had different, uh, versions of Alice and Bob, one for fashion, one for furniture, one for toys, uh, one for, for wholesale. And then we had different country setups for, for, for Brazil, for for, for uh, Japan, then for India, uh, for Middle East, for Australia. And then we combined these. And so we had um, I had three teams. Each team was like six, eight engineers working in parallel, building one shop. We had a bell in the office. So when a shop was launched, we, we we used the bell. So we ringed the bell. There was a, there was a uh, sound in the office. <laughs> um, and then we created some kind of Kanban mode. There was a station for designers. There was a station... Um, my, my current co-founder, Tim, uh, he was also there at it at the time. And his job was to fly to all these countries and to prepare the founders and tell the founders, hey, in five days, Fabian will come. And until then, you have to have the product data prepared and you have to have the images prepared and you need to know your requirements and which provider you use. Because our focus on each of these companies was only a few days. They prepared everything. Then we came with our team. We, we put together their stuff. So we took actually the Brazilian shop, copied over to, and 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 uh, used the, I don't know, the the Australian, sh- put it in Australia, put their logo in there, replaced the Portuguese language with English language, plugged <laughs> in a different payment writer. And this took only five days. The functionality was the same. Uh, and and this way we launched, for example, uh, the Iconic in Australia, which is also still existing and still big. And, and um, yeah, that was really interesting time. Very, very fun time for me as CTO. I learned a lot. But it was a big mess. Did, did, <laughs> so, um, did you sleep a lot? <laughs> when I came to the office in the morning at eight, then the people from Australia and Japan, they waited for me. Hey, why are you so late? We want to talk to you. And in the evening, when I wanted to to leave my laptop at 9 p.m., then the people in Brazil waked up and said, no, you cannot leave. I want to have a meeting with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was younger, so it was not a big deal for me. Um, really amazing time. My own team in, in, at Rocket Internet was around 100 people, and um, then I hired all the CTOs' local teams. We had more than 1,000 people in total. I know this number because at that time um, we used uh, Atlassian Cloud, and 1,000 was the limit. So we reached the <laughs> limit of, of Atlassian products, um, and yeah. And then I also had a big problem how to deal with that. Um, so it was yeah, and yeah, it was it was very very. Um, effective so we launched a lot of shops it was not very efficient because we did not have any synergy effects no nothing we just did everything in parallel and twice and and uh yeah it was a big it was a little bit of a mess because there was no update parse there was no way to to share features and um and founders talked to each other so one founder said hey we have the night feature can we just give it to you but then the code did not fit because it's different versions and different yeah and um yeah. I guess it was but, also uh, it was still the time fun. of
0: subversion and, and, and so on, right? There was no Git, yes. so it was actually no harder to...
1: Wow. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. Uh, I was CTO of Rocket only for 12 months, and all this happened in these 12 months. Um, okay. yeah, very, well. very amazing time.
0: Is there any... Uh, be, 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 before you continue, is there any like absolutely funny Oliver Summer
1: anecdote you can tell us? Oh, I have several anecdotes. I'm not sure if I want to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean
0: the Blitzkrieg email uh, is kind of uh, very yes. well known um, but but anything uh, maybe funny related I, I to also, tech I
1: also received, I also received that Blitzkrieg email I re- there were different versions of that email uh, and I received the one for furniture and I was very happy that the one that <laughs> was published was not the furniture one so I was never I was never actually <laughs> uh yeah nobody Ever thought that I could have published this email? So I, because I received a different one, <laughs> that was quite. Oli yeah. Oli was extremely active at that time and and uh, very very proactive. He was always nice to me because I was I was on the I was his CTO. So there was also um there was some kind of of very interesting talks with the founders, but it was always nice with me. So I always got nice phone calls and there was never never any problem between us. So no, um, no shouting at yeah. night or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think he did know that it's not a good idea to, to shout at your CTO when you when you fully depend on him. I think that would be a very bad idea. Um yeah. So we had a good relationship. Yeah, but still it was it was a surprise. I mean when you when you get a phone call, uh, yeah, you had to take it, no matter what you're doing right now. <laughs> um so it was also something I didn't uh, yeah have before. Um, yeah. Yeah. interesting how how much yeah. respect I, ha- I, ha- I have one, one anecdote, one anecdote. okay. Least. Um so um one of my of tech leads. Uh, he went to toilet. <laughs> then Oli called him. He didn't take the phone. Then Oli called me. Hey, I want to talk to him. No, Oli, well, he's on toilet. No, that doesn't matter. Bring him to the bring him <laughs> the phone. <laughs> so I had to go to the toilet and bring him the phone. Yeah, mm. yeah. There was just no. Yeah, he, he was not not very patient actually when when things happened. Which I which of I mean I also, because we we launched a lot of shops in parallel. A lot of companies, so he had to deal with with hundreds of founders, and of course you cannot be patient. I mean, you have to work very, very quickly and very uh, proactive. And and if something uh, forces you to to make a pause, this is not acceptable. So I was totally I totally understood that that problem that he faced and and supported it. So yeah, that was my job.
0: Did Did you learn any any uh, of his um, let's say leadership? ideas? Did you did adopt any of those leadership ideas? I mean, he's like kind of like the pushiest person, person I, I've ever met, I think. Uh,
1: did that... did that um, Of course. Of, of everybody's doing that. So everybody working with him uh, doing that. So I tried to avoid some bad habits. A lot of founders used him as an argument. So we need to do that because Oli said so. This is something which I never did. This is something which I dislike. So usually that if somebody tried to do that with me, I always stopped. No. <laughs> Um, uh, but of course you start using some habits for example i started to write my emails very short without saying hello without saying best regards just one sentence emails and i also started some workshops without without any anything except the content itself um yeah the brazilian guys called me then the tank the german tank (laughs) Um, yeah i think i over yeah. Afterwards, I reflected this, and I started to 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 uh, to turn back to my normal mode. How to communic- How I should communicate? So I, I, this was not. I think it was not healthy for me, for myself, because that was not me. So for all, it's fine. Everybody has very high respect, uh, but it did not fit to me. But yes, of course, I started to take over some habits. Okay. As as, but a, as everyone, actually, as everyone.
0: But you're not a tank anymore. <laughs> so not a tank
1: no anymore. no no question mark emails. Like, yeah, one founder, one founder tried to push me to do do something and he put a fake email of Oliver Zamba on CC. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, so the the pressure on the founders was quite high and and then people behave very, very unfriendly. Um, But it was still a big, it was still fun. For me, it was fun because I was not really, I mean, I was accountable uh, for, for, for a lot of stuff, but I was not really, there was no way to make pressure on me. I did not have shares. So there was nothing that somebody could take away from me. Um that's why for me it was not a yeah, it was not a big problem. It was very fun. Yeah. But still, from an architecture point of view, it was a big mess that we created. And my successor, Ronnie Redner, had to had to fix it for a long, long, long time. Um and yeah. Uh, but for me, when there was a chance to to move to to Project A, um, to become city of Project A, to leave the mess behind. <laughs> That was a good offer, which I accepted after one year. Um, you, you and so Florian could, as well,
0: right? You were both Florian as well,
1: yeah. yeah. My, my Java, uh, uh, co CTO. Uh, we both went decided to go to Project A, so we decided to to move from from Rocket from Company Builder Rocket Internet to at that time Company Builder Project A. So to go also with our friends because like like people like Christian Weiss, Loren mm. Heinemann, Uwe Hostmann, uh, they all switched over to Project A. So it was a while well, on Rocket, nobody left. Uh, no, nobody's nobody stayed. No, I mean none of our friends stayed. So we it was an easy decision for us to to go um to go over that. Yeah. Of course, Oli made good counter offers. <laughs> so I needed some time to think about this. But um yeah, it was the decision that let's let's go with our friends to Project A, which I think was a good decision at the time. So I became CTO of Project A and I had the chance uh to build a shop system again. So at Rocket, I had the chance to build a shop system as in Bob, and at Project A, I got the very unique chance to build the shop system again. <laughs> so because it was clear that we wanted to do e-commerce, not the same bullish way that Rocket was doing, but in a more, more thoughtful way. But it was clear that we need a shop system for sure. So we did not want to go with Magento. We want to have something on our own uh, stack. And uh, yeah, I with all my learnings from Rocket Internet, I implemented another shop system. Um, in the first weeks, we need to decide about the name. So at Rocket, it was called Alice and Bob, so the first letters of the alphabet. At uh, Project A, we decided to use the last letters of the alphabet, and we called it Eve and Z. Eve and Z also fit quite nice to the frameworks. So Eve was implemented on the on the Y framework, and uh, Z was implemented on the Z framework. So there's some some fit to the names, Eve and Z. Um, and... Yeah, it was i think it was uh, we had more time to build the framework itself we had time to, without project pressure to to think about the proper architecture um so we are realized a good piece of software it's still in use by some companies um and with this new shop system um we launched some shops um, not sure if if there's something that is famous i think there was T- T- that's a shop for tires. It's not there anymore. Um, they had a TV commercial with Sebastian Vettel. Then is Nutri. This shop is still there. Um, and where the shop in, in us, called course, uh, Saatchi art, uh, that was a shop selling artworks globally. It was a very interesting business model. Yeah, so we launched a few shops. I think the most famous one is Contorion. It's a um shop for um MRO. It's yeah, and it's also was also a huge success for Project A. Um, I think when they sold the company for a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. That's what I heard. Uh, the, yeah. And and then um, all based
0: on your infrastructure. So yes. um and besides that, did you have I mean, um Project A also did like quite a lot of venture um deals. Um were you involved there too? Or
1: um, yeah, let, let me explain my, my role at Project A. So my role was, um, I was the CTO of that, of the PHP team and our, with a, with a focus on e-commerce and, uh, recreated companies from scratch. So I was there like as an interim CTO working together with the founders. And then my job was to build the initial setup and to hire a CTO and to train the CTO we also had an internal CTO candidate program. So we, so we trained our own CTOs which, and then promoted them for startup CTOs. Um, this was, this went quite well, but I was very limited to a small set of the portfolio of project A. Project A invested money into, into startups and also into, into bigger companies. And these companies are not necessarily doing e-commerce and not with PHP. And that's why I did not qualify for actually for most of the portfolio companies. Mm. So if you're doing attack based on, on, I don't know, on Scala, then I was not able to help. It was not my technology. It was not my domain. My, my framework didn't fit. So, and uh, and then when Project A moved away from company builder more to uh, being operational VC, that means there are no greenfield project anymore. It's more that Project A invests into existing companies and then helps. Uh, this makes totally sense with marketing and BI, but it did not make sense for for my role and for what I was doing.
0: At, at least not if you're so hands-on, right? Uh, then you have to step yes. back and have to optimize, I don't know, AWS cloud costs and stuff like that or build central things and then um, integrate those in the in the startups. But um, I, I guess that potentially doesn't make sense because you're too slow then, right? If a startup adopts your, your technology, um, let's say you're, you're building also, like an authentication yeah. service, um, doesn't make sense, right?
1: It was, yeah, I know that, I think that doesn't make sense. I think you need, my successor Stefan is, he's, he's much more, um, he's, he's not focused on e-commerce. He's, he's more broader, he's a more broad technology knowledge and he's more, he feels more like a, like a consultant. So he, he helps the, our uh, startups to, to make good technology decisions. He's also building stuff. He's also hands-on CTO, but he's, he's a much, much, much better fit uh, to what Project A is doing now than what I was because I'm a hands-on CTO. I want to build Focus on e-commerce i want to leverage that skills and there you're, was just like no, digging in the dirt right portfolio <laughs> companies so it was so i was not the right person for that job anymore which was obvious but at the same moment uh there was a new initiative um which uh then resulted in, in spriker um so project a had these our uh, own shop system and the shop system was also part of the assets of project a so project a uh, needed to show its own assets and there's not much that project a owned except of the people and that's always said that our e-commerce platform that's our asset and also when, when companies like Torando and Kodorian were sold then also the e-commerce platform was one of the assets hmm. because there's not much more assets <laughs> and, uh, and that means there was so this te- these e-commerce technology become, became quite you know, I don't want to say popular but it was it became important. And, and this resulted also in our bigger companies asking project A if they could also use this e-commerce technology. And that was not possible uh, because the technology was not, was not an enterprise product. There was no good documentation. It was not flexible enough. Also the deal structure didn't fit. Project A wants to invest money and then sell companies. It's not an agency that can help large companies to improve their, their IT department, So um, there was never a deal. I was involved into some of these uh, negotiations. With very very large companies, but they all failed because it just does not make any sense for Project A to do this. Um, and um, but there was demand, so obviously there was demand in the market for such kind of e-commerce technology. So it seems like existing solutions like Magento, Hybris, Demandware are not enough. So people are looking for something else, something fresh, something better. And yeah, and and they thought that our technology is exactly this. Um, and uh, this was one of the reasons why Project A uh, was, was willing to uh, to fork their own technology into a startup um, which was called Krullo in the beginning and then renamed to Spryker. And uh, this was one of the uh, ways, uh, this was one of the uh, directions how Spryker was created. There was also, there's also other stories. So if you ask Alexander Graf and Flo Heinemann, there are also other, other things. But anyway, there was an initiative that... Um, that the e-commerce platform should be forked and uh, initially I, I was thinking how we do that and and which cto could fit into that role so i was helping this new startup from project a point of view and then i was thinking the idea actually in my head create, was created why why should i i mean if, if i'm not at, if i don't have a job at project a and and they sell my baby now <laughs> why i mean maybe that's a good chance to become a founder again so I was a founder before, like like two thousand five six, failed with with my own idea, It did not work out. So this was my my chance to become a founder. It was a really cool chance because the idea was there. Uh, there were capable founders in place already. I mean, Alexander Graf has a has a um. um has a, as a block cousin owner, so I mean, yes, I think you know, most people know there was also an obvious marketing channel. Uh, Neil Seewach had had the right context to uh, potential investors. So there was a setup. My technology already existed and I'm the expert. Uh, so there was a setup which was very, very, uh, there was also money because Project A invested money. So there was like a very perfect setup and I just had to say yes to this setup. That's what I did actually. So I said, yes, I will stop working for Project A uh, and become a um, Yeah, Uh, co-founder of Spryker. The term co-founder is not correct because I joined three months after the company was created. So I'm not really a founder. I'm more a CTO with shares. It doesn't matter, but I'm not really a founder. So like in the uh, shareholders agreement, I'm always declared as something else. However, uh, so I joined Spryker. Late co-founder, I would say. Late (laughs) co-founder. Late co-founder, yeah. And then also another co-founder joined Boas Lockshain, who's now like the one operating the company. Um, Yeah, so I joined Spryker. And um, yeah, I continued to do what I did before. So I implemented my third shop system, <laughs> it was based on Evonset. These names are still there. So in the code, you still find the names Evonset. They're not used anywhere in marketing, but yeah, I think they're they survived. <laughs> so Evon is the front end set is the backend system. Um, we needed to refactor the system a lot. We also need to write a lot of documentation and make sure that it, that uh, We looked into um, into topics like. Um, how exactly uh, which? How exactly should we define code quality? So we, the goal was to build something with a high code quality. And then we asked ourselves, what is good code quality? It didn't matter before. So when you launch shops very quickly, code quality is not an important thing, but now it was important because the code was part of our offering and it need to be very good. So, and what does it mean? What is good code actually? So we looked into these things. So I, I, I read books, <laughs> uh, clean code, of course, um, solid principles, packaging principles. Uh, we did trainings with the entire team because nobody was really expert in all these topics. And then we had to answer all these hard questions. I mean, when you build such a platform, you have to think about the functionality. So you need checkout, discount, catalog, etc. But you also need to think about topics like multi-currency, multi-country, multi-locale, multi-warehouse. What exactly is a stock? Should it be an integer or float? Uh, and so on and you need to think about security high availability scalability performance all these things and um and you built that as a framework
0: right so you can essentially download the software you get like a package yes. from alexander graph um and you you, you you download it then and uh, then you can you can
1: build your own tech on behalf of it and it's not cloud software right it's uh, at that time, it was uh, on-premise software, so the code is public. Everybody can look the code. It's, it's it's it does. It's not open source. We called it open code. The code is there. You can everybody can install it. You don't need to get access, but it does not have a MIT license. So it has a proprietary license. It says you can try it out for some days, but if you want to use a production, you have to pay. Um, yeah, interesting. There is no term for this, so that's why we called it open code. <laughs> um, the the hardest challenge at the time was to think about. Um, the, uh, the extensibility, so how can people use it, ch- adopt it to their needs, but still able to do updates. This was something which Magento was not able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this was one of the goals which I wanted to solve. Um, we solved it with a lot of uh, design patterns. So, uh, with, I mean, with, with, uh, with a plugin system, with a dependency injection system, with factories, with all this stuff, we solved it in the uh, in the code that you can extend the system from the outside. And then we implemented the application in a way that is that is not a it's not a, a monolithic, it's, it's a model application. So it has consists of a lot of modules. At the moment, it's more than 1,000 modules in total. Um, and each module has its own version number. And then this way, customers can decide which modules they want to use and which modules they want to replace. So you can hack the system. When you hack the system by, by overwriting modules, you can still compatible with the rest of the modules. Of course, it's more complicated because we talk about semantic versioning and we're talking about a very large dependency graph, which we visualized also, and a lot of constraints, but it's possible. Database database
0: state in the database and migrations and
1: so on. Um, Yes. Okay. Yes. All this database model is also extendable. So you can, so we use XML to describe the database and then customers can write their own XML. And there's all XML files merged. And then the schema is created from this merged XML file. So a is extremely flexible in these, in these are uh, perspective at that time, it was on-premise. Um, uh, people struggled also uh, usually with hosting. This was the biggest pain point, I think, and that's why now a um, in the last years moved to become uh, more uh, uh, it's it's so Spryker is it's now a cloud platform so that means uh, current customers of Spryker do not need to operate on their own anymore so Spryker is operating it this is the current model but at that time when we started it was always like here's the source code have fun to install it and it's a large system so you have to deal with a lot of technologies and yeah people struggled it. it did not work out well and uh this whole topic is solved now and solved in a very very well way based on on aws and uh, yeah
0: this podcast is proudly sponsored by bechtle Bechtle opens its IT online shop to all B2B customers. Small and medium-sized enterprises as well as self-employed people benefit from Bechtle's entire experience and can conveniently procure their IT online. They offer total IT procurement in one place and that saves time and money, special functionality for business customers, employee management with budget limits or approval processes directly on the platform. Best prices for all brands and fast delivery. If you want to try it out, simply go to bechtle.digital and use the coupon code ALPHALIST on your first order to save some money. So, um, uh, my friend Sebastian Betz actually built the About You Cloud from, from, yeah. from scratch and also like the whole About You shop. I, I think like um, y- you quite have a few things in parallel. Um, he has a different approach on the cloud though. So, um, I think you just get services as, as a customer. Would yep. you, if you, if you w- were, we're starting again from scratch, would you, would you do it in a
1: similar way, um, from your today's perspective? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yes. I, uh, so for my new company, rock technology, I did it exactly <laughs> this way. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it, it it depends on what you want to achieve. So for Spryker, Spryker is an is a, a e-commerce platform for very advanced use cases. And um, these are use cases that you cannot, I mean, you can you can solve them partially, but there's always custom modifications needed. And, um, and this is something which you cannot really offer with a SaaS solution. So a SaaS solution is telling you, this is the way I, I work and you can build a front end. But you cannot change it fundamentally. For example, you cannot change the way the catalog is working. So um, let's say um, you build a marketplace where every product has a different uh, has a different stock per location or per merchant. Um, This is something that you cannot do with a SaaS platform when this is not in the database schema already. You cannot put that as a plugin on top or something. There's just no way to build it. It's and Spryker can be extended. That it can solve any kind of problem. This is exactly the uh, the value add uh, of that architecture. That you can build whatever you like and can, can reuse existing functionality from Spreaker. So in this,
0: well, so for uh, this I, purpose, I, I I agree, but, but also yeah, um, I, I agree but disagree partly. So I mean, it would be possible, but it's. Um, in a way, it depends really on your structure and your your architecture. And it might be very, 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 very complex if you yeah. don't have. I'll give you an right?
1: extreme example. So, uh, the about Euclide, I do not know exactly the technology here, but I know it's, it's a SaaS, like, like like maybe close to commerce tools. Um, so, and probably it's a really good fit for people operating fashion companies because it fits probably to the fashion use case. But imagine you build a an international trading platform for uh, electronic parts. Um, there's a spiker shop called um, Source Engine. And that shop is selling uh, um, uh, little parts like transistors and, and, and these things. And it has a catalog of 600 million products, uh, which is sold by uh, several dozen suppliers. So on each of these our products and supplier combination, you have a price. So you can imagine how many prices information you have. And, our, and then customers, do not browse a shop. What they do is they upload a bill of material. So it's an Excel sheet. And then, then the shop is automatically calculating the prices for these. And this is something which requires a different data model, different technologies. And that's something which I think you cannot build on any existing e-commerce platform, except for Spriker, because Spriker allows you to reuse a lot of things which are common in your use case. There's also checkout, there's still payment, there's this and this, but some parts need to be adopted. And this, this way that you can adopt it so extremely this is a big plus of Spryker. And that's why I think it, it really depends on the use case. Um, yeah, I did that at Spryker for um, uh, for uh, four years. And um, yeah, I had a really, really good time there as uh, building the initial architecture, uh, uh, creating and, and training the initial core team, being part of the uh, pilot projects, helping uh, with sales. I um, was also involved into into the first funding round and so on so it was a very amazing time for me
0: but you are more more of a builder right you you like building stuff um, and um, maybe not so much than operating it for 10 years uh, is that is that true
1: uh, it's partially true um so i'm yes, I'm a hands-on cto i'm so I think i'm I'm quite good in the first. Years of a startup. So when things, when, when there's greenfield, when architecture needs to be created, when technologies need to be decided, or uh, when the first team members need to be hired, uh, Spryker reached a point um, when it was more uh, like keep the application uh, uh, compatible with existing customers, which reduces the uh, uh, actually the f- architecture freedom. You cannot make fundamental changes when a lot of when hundreds customers, thousand customers are operating. No way, <laughs> because you will create backward company breaks. And, um, and also the Spryker team was quite, it is quite large now. So, and, uh, this was not exactly fitting to my, to my skills. And, uh, Spryker had a a VPE, Sergey Bratnikov, who was much better fit for this role. And, um, in the same moment, there was one customer of Spryker, Metro AG created a large system and they needed my skills. And that's why it was an easy decision that, okay, I think I, I did my job at Spryker. If I continue here probably I cannot give such a big value add and and there's Sergey, so there is there is somebody already in place who can do that part uh much better than I can do and so I go to Metro and have Metro AG to uh to launch um a very uh, large B2B shop in, in Russia in Romania that's what I did uh, in 2019 um that was also a very interesting time for me. A completely different setup, large company, not a startup anymore. I was there as a, as a freelance consultant and uh, very interesting uh, learnings for me as well.
0: And then you already mentioned Rock. Which problem
1: do you solve there? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Let me introduce it like this. So after after I left Metro, I uh, took half a year off and, and uh, spent some time into um, uh, consideration what I should ne- do next. Um I looked into several startup ideas, software as a service ideas. So for example, I considered to build a messaging service for craftsmen that they can digitalize their business and or or centralize their communication. However, I looked into several dozen of business ideas. None of these ideas fit to my skills and I didn't find a good idea. I'm a developer. So I was always looking into how would I build this? So if I would decide to create a startup now, how would I implement this? And I was looking for something like a, uh, like a shop system. So something that can help me to launch my idea very quickly because there was a lot of functionality that I need to implement that has nothing to do with a business idea. And interestingly, there was no such platform for non-e-commerce cases. So for e-commerce, there's a lot of systems. You can use Spryker, you can, you, can you can use a Shopify. Uh, if you're very brave, you can also use Magento. <laughs> um, but uh, if you build something which is not e-commerce, uh, then, yeah, there's nothing like this. So let's imagine you build the next car sharing service. Um, how would you start? Yeah, You would probably start by selecting a programming language, selecting the frameworks, Selecting the technologies. You would probably discuss: do I use React or, or Vue? Um, or, or in the back end, do I do I use PHP or Ruby or, or, or Node.js? And uh yeah, you would start on a low level. In e-commerce, you you make your evaluate a shop system, but outside of e-commerce, you start from scratch. And then you build a lot of functionalities that are that are quite common. So you need to build user management so that users can register, uh, password forgotten feature, single opt-in. Etc. You build a <laughs> file upload again. You deal with payment providers again. You need to think about subscription model. You need to build, think about an invoice system. You need to build, you just think about UI elements. You need to think about where do I host it on a or AWS or, or GCP or, or wherever. So you start to reinventing a lot of wheels. And that that annoyed me because I said, no, it doesn't matter if you build our, if a, what kind of web application I build. It doesn't matter if I build a software as a service startup, or if I build an enterprise level web application, I will always need the same basic features. And this was the idea. Okay, let's build a platform uh, that holds all these common ground, that holds all these 10, 20, 30 features that you always need when you build a web application. Let's build a platform that always takes care for the infrastructure hosting part. And let's build a platform that gives you all the third party providers integrate that you need anyway. So everybody needs integration with Twilio always. Everyone needs integration with a payment provider. Everyone needs integration with Google Analytics or with SendGrid, it's always the same. And why don't we build a suite that holds all of this together? Um, I was working close with, a, uh, with the CTO of Rock Internet, Tim Niemeyer, uh, he is now my co-founder. <laughs> uh, so he also liked that idea a lot. Um, so, and um, yeah we decided, okay, there's obviously a niche in the market. That platform doesn't exist. There's nothing that helps that helps startups or, or large companies to build web applications. So let's build this platform. Let's solve this problem. Um, but isn't there like a bit of open
0: source available? Um, like, I don't know, Laravel. I mean, you're from the PHP world. I myself am from the Rails world. And there's, for example, Jumpstart Rails where you have... Yeah, like everything ready prepared, payments, multi tenancy accounts, authentication, invoicing, announcements, blah blah. Um, isn't that doesn't that exist?
1: Yeah, it, I mean it exists on on the framework level, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does not. But it's. it's I mean, er, when you build from scratch, you of course you use existing frameworks. You use existing um, third party providers. So you would not build a payment provider from scratch. And you maybe use Auth0 for, for authentication. You don't build this from scratch, but I mean, this is how people do it today. And then a web application takes a few hundred days until it can be launched. And uh, and we uh, start on a higher abstraction level. So what we give 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 uh, away when it's done is a suite which is working out of the box completely. So you can you can deploy it on our infrastructure, and it gives you a like an empty application that contains everything accept your own business logic. So it's a much, much better start. Of course, under the hood, we're also using the existing frameworks. So we're also not building all of this from scratch. But the idea is we put that together in a very thoughtful way. We think about all the non-functional concerns. So our system will be, will have high code quality, will be scalable, performance, security, etc. Everything of this will be there out of the box. So you, you get your, your project much, much faster you will spend less money because you don't need to build all of this and you will get it in a better quality because what we can build now is better what you can build as an MVP in short amount of time and with, with small money. So, and this is the idea. So our offering is our, so our, our use piece is actually compared to from scratch development, you get it faster, you get it cheaper, you get it better. So And I I think that's a quite good good sales argument. Uh, Some people then say, oh, yes, but I can also use a no-code platform like Bubble.io where I can put the entire application together without coding. Uh, And we say, yes, that's possible. And this makes totally sense for prototypes or for internal applications. But for serious business models, this is not an option. You do not want to limit your flexibility by by the uh, capabilities of such a platform. So you want to have the full freedom of of, of a programming language, uh, but you do not want to reinvent all the wheels. That's exactly what we will offer with Rock technology.
0: Well, there's like um, Fi- Firebase, for example, from Google, but it's more focusing yeah. on app development and so on, right? Um.
1: Firebase is a use case when you build a mobile app mm-hmm. and you do not want to think about uh, a backend. This is for quite nice for yeah for apps. But so with Rock, we are focusing um uh, Enterprise companies, so mid or large companies, so companies with ha- revenue higher than 100 million euros, uh, doing digital uh, projects, um, and uh, for these kind of companies, Firebase is not a, is not an option. So it's it's like you you're building a large. Shop on on Shopify. Yes, you could do that, but it's, it's not the right technology. So we are we are facing more serious, more advanced uh, projects
0: and end user facing, right? So no internal tools. I mean, I love, for example, Airtable for 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 internal tooling, yep. um but it, it, that's not what you aim for, right?
1: No, um, no, no, no. We we are it's it's for it's for public. It's actually the idea is our customers are companies that are doing uh, their business offline so far, that so they digitalized internally using ERP systems, but they did not digitalize their, their relationship to customers. And they need to build very um, advanced solutions, connect them with their internal systems. And for this, something like Airtable is not an option. So for example, one of our pilot customers is, is Helm AG. That's a, a chemistry farmer company from Hamburg. It's, it's a company uh, doing several billion uh, euro revenue per year. and uh, what we did is we created um, an application um, so that their customers, which are also large companies, are can do their business with them. via are website, not we are we are personal meetings anymore. And um, it's a it's a we just started with this project. It's a large project. It takes time. It also takes people internally need some time to, to grow the idea. Hey, yes, we did this. For the last hundred years, we did that offline, but now it's time to do it online. So it's it's a bigger project, but this is exactly our target group. So um, the German hidden champions or international hidden champions, Actually, we want to roll out globally, um, who who want to or or must digitalize their business, their core business, and uh, for this audience, for this target group, Airtable is not an option, to be honest. Obviously, obviously, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so and, yeah, and they're quite lost because they have no they have no real alternative. I mean, usually, I mean, they cannot build from scratch because they don't have IT team. They can go to agencies, but yeah, it's always hard to tell agency what they should do because they don't really know exactly. So, and um, yeah, we we give them a a solution. We say, okay, with us, you start higher than 0%. You start at 50% progress. Um, We also guide you a bit through the, through the uh, development process. And then yeah, with us, you can uh, realize your projects much better. So are you, are you going to sell your product? I, th- I think it's
0: like pretty much in the making and um, a lot is yep. uh, like still in progress. Are you planning to sell your product and th- through agencies in long-term and through development partners as you did with Spryco? Or are you, are you planning to build like an enterprise sales team and do all the heavy lifting yourself?
1: Um, we do pilot projects uh, on our own um, because we also want to learn from these projects. And our platform is not ready for self-service usage, yet. So we do that at the moment, but we know that this is a not scalable business model. We are not an agency. And, and also we, compared to an agency, I mean, we do not have customer references, so we are not, yeah, it's, it's something, we're not in that market. Uh, we do that initially with a few customers, but the idea is that we want to sell software uh, and operate software. And then the realization is done either by the customer itself or we are agency or, or solution partner. Um, we will build up a network here later on. So right now our focus is on building our version one of our platform um, in the next, not sure, six months, nine months, let's see. And then uh, we do more pilot project and then we will look into this, this network idea. It For for now, it doesn't really matter for us who will do the project in the future. Um, that's the decision that we will do later on. We try to keep that open. We had some agency already asking us uh, if they can cooperate, if they can, can do projects. They also see that we have interesting customers. But that's just too early. So we we do not want to go super fast. So we're not interested in building some large company in in, in 12 months. So we want to build a sustainable software vendor, um, solving a, a real problem. And it, it, it's totally fine for us if that takes a few years. And and
0: your clients will all have a vendor login then, right? Uh, so there's no way operating the, the tool on, on their own. So it's a cloud-based um, thing. They have to then um, like... Pay you forever and be locked in forever, or uh, how's that gonna be?
1: Yeah, um, we're selling functionalities that we also operate on our side, and then the project need to build their part um, on their own, or, or we do, it, or partner do that, and also operate on their own. So we're providing a hosting platform here for them that they can easily operate, but that's not mandatory. So their their own business logic and their own data is always on their side; it's running on their We're using GCP on their GCP account, but they can also move it to some other place. And then they only use our APIs for the common functionality. They can also replace these APIs over time. So there is a migration part to get rid of us. Uh, And we do not block that. It's totally fine. If somebody wants to do that, it's possible. Some customers demand that. Um, And uh, fine. We say, we think that nobody will ever do that because why would you spend time and rebuilding all the basic functionality are just to get rid of us. And probably the result will be not good because our solution is probably better than whatever you can do on your own. It's better to invest their time and budget into building features that differentiate your business. So it's probably better to put that money somewhere where you can generate revenue. It doesn't really make sense if you rebuild, for example, file handling on your own because our solution is working fine. Um, I mean, yeah, but still we expect some people to do that and that's fine. We do not want to discuss that too much upfront that this is not possible. Uh, It's, it's a valid approach. Um, We just think we will, it, it, it won't happen often because our solution is good. It it won't be too expensive, so we want to remove all the reasons why people could do that. Mm-hmm. But of course, there will always be a CTO who says, "No, I want to build it on my own. My code is better than others." That, that's, that's what CTOs uh, tend to
0: tend to do a lot, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, so it's 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 fine. We 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 expect that, and uh, yeah, we will not. We do not want to discuss it too much. So we say let's say it's fine. You can start with us. You have a, you have advanced at the beginning, and later on, if you think it makes sense, if you have too many engineers, <laughs> feel free to replace the basic features. No worries. Um, um, so, getting a bit more technical
0: here, um, you also implemented that all in, in Node.js instead of PHP, right? And you're like a yes. PHP guy. Uh, why did you do that?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. In the last twenty years, I used mostly PHP. I'm also I'm also do Java and and, and uh, Perl and, and other programming language. <laughs> um, um, Spraker was implemented in PHP because PHP is for e-commerce. It's the right language uh, because most. Developers with E commerce experience are PHP developers. That's because of Magento and Oxid and other shop systems that existed before. Um, for web applications, PHP is a bad choice, I think, um, because web application happens mostly in the UI and the front end, and there is no PHP. Uh, so you have to have JavaScript anyway. And uh, when you have to deal with JavaScript anyway, then it's I mean then it totally makes sense to use JavaScript on the back end side as well because. Um, the productivity of the team is heavily affected by the amount of programming languages that, that you use. Of course, if you mix programming languages, then, then you will have groups of team members who are expert in this or that or that. And these groups don't like each other, uh, they don't go into lunch each other, there, there will be a JavaScript group and there will be a PHP group and maybe a Ruby group and so on. That's why I think it makes more sense to decide for one approach, either everything is JavaScript. Um, or you render everything on the server side. You can also do it with PHP and Ruby, and there are ways to do that. Um, but I think the much, much better technology is using JavaScript front-end, back-end. So it's the same programming language. It's Node.js in the back-end. It's uh, React and Next.js on the front-end. And on the mobile app, we're using um, React Native. So we can even use the same framework in the, in the mobile and uh, web applications. So we reduce the amount of languages and frameworks. Um, and yeah, I think that's a big plus for us and also a big plus for our customers because every engineer is like, is a full stack developer because everybody can do both sides. Of course, some people are more specialized here and there, that's totally fine, but at least they speak the same language. So there's no language barrier anymore on the team. So people can easily do commit code everywhere. Mm. There's no big onboarding time because somebody has learned a new programming language. Etc. We can even share some libraries. So you can have the same validation library in the front end and on the, also in the back end side. So you avoid duplicated code. So uh, that's
0: that's also your answer on, uh, like, would you prefer microservices or monoliths these days, right? Um, like, if they are the same language, uh, then it's all good? Or how, what would what, what be your answer?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, a, uh, <laughs> this is an interesting question. Um, so microservices solve a problem, right? I mean, and you should use it when you have the problem. So, the, I mean, when the problem is that your team is very large and you, can, and you cannot really have every people working on the same place, then um, breaking it into services makes totally sense, right? I mean, you have 1000 engineers, you cannot work in a single, repos- a single application that wouldn't work. Or if your application is very, is not homogeneous, So it's, it's very, it has a lot of parts that are isolated then building all of this into one application is is the wrong design decision. So, um, and that's why I think you should always think which problem do I solve? And then building a modular application or microservice, uh, which one is better? You can also mix it. You can have a larger application with some microservice around. Um, And then if you build services, then you can do it in a good way or in a bad way. And I think a good way is build, build everything in the same language. You can still do an exception if it makes sense. So if it makes sense to build some service in Python because you want to use some framework, totally fine. You can do that. But I think you should not leave that freedom to all the teams because then you will have a big zoo of of, of languages and, and, and frameworks and, and versions and this is chaos. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, you can also have a proper microservice architecture when, when everybody's using the same programming language and the same uh, framework. This is what we do. So we have right now, I think, 10 services on our side. Uh, they all run. Uh, we operate them from a, from a monorepository. Um, we deploy them on different containers in Google Cloud Run, and um, we're using an API gateway in front of it. Uh, so we have a federated graph. Uh, so we're not exposing all the uh, GraphQL endpoints of our services. That's a. I, I would say it's a proper architecture, and this way, the downsides of microservices are are solved. The risks are mitigated. We still sometimes struggle a bit from having all these databases. Sometimes it would be nicer to have one big database. Um, Sometimes you want to join two tables which are on different databases, and that's not possible. (laughs) So we see sometimes the limitations, but generally you can do microservice pretty good. Um, For our customers, it's usually not needed. So most web applications that our customers are building are are not complex enough, are not large enough to justify microservice architecture, then sometimes having a single application or having a bunch of applications, like two, three applications is totally fine. Um, is but there should be modular. Of course it should not be monolithic. It should be modular. Is, is um, there, is there any,
0: any, uh, starter you provide to your clients as well? Like for example, the fr- front end stack could be, could be something you provide as a starter so that's, that there's already authentication and payment somewhere integrated or.
1: Yes, we, we, we provide a, uh, uh, open source. Boilerplate application that contains a uh, React web application and a Node.js backend. And uh, all our features are pre integrated. It has a nice UI and people can start it. Uh, it can also be deployed. So that means the idea is that our customers can have a walking skeleton So on the very first day. So instead of on the first day dis- discussing about technology, they can deploy something the first hours of the project. They have something online that which they can improve. I think. This is our main goal. So something which is it is opinionated from technology point of view. So we made some technology decisions that people then have to use. If they don't like this, they can still use our platform without our boilerplate. Um, but if they use it, they have a huge speed advantage. They start on a working application which can do everything except, their, except the business logic you want to have on your own um, for your own business model. Yeah. On the backend, we're using um, um, Nest JS. That's a modular Node.js framework. It's really, really nice. So it's it's uh, um you can it's it scales very well when you build larger applications. And then of course we have uh, all the best practices like GraphQL, uh, we have a proper ORM in place, we're using a laser database, Postgres, et cetera.
0: Okay. I'm 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 smiling a bit because like I know Nux.js or Next.js and um yeah. server side rendering and all those, those modern things. Like from your, let's say, old school, the, the old school Fabian perspective, <laughs> does that all make sense? I mean, it's quite like a big complexity you introduce, um, no. like with server-side rendering and just having a layer in between uh, that that is essentially just there for Google or mostly there for Google. Does, does that make sense from your old Fabian is writing code in PHP perspective where you just render pages that are stateless? Um is it, yeah, like, is the huh. state in the front end, is it worth the effort?
1: Depends on what you're building. <laughs> um, in, in, uh, if you build some kind of static page that shows content, then it's not worth So then you can just use use PHP or, or Ruby or whatever, Python, and, and build the HTML on the server side. You can still put a bit of dynamic content, maybe use jQuery, <laughs> <laughs> or something and are and here we go, you're done. It's solved. So the complexity is low. You have one application serving HTML, you're done. And that's still good. I think most website for most websites, this is still a valid use case. For advanced web applications where people are interacting on the front end, you will need something better. and better means you use a good framework. We decided for for uh, react and um, react alone. Is not, is not enough. So you also need state management. We use Redux. That was something which I need to learn, to be honest. I did not know about all of this before we started Rock. So I also had some of my own learning experience. I needed in total ex- three months to learn the entire JavaScript stack from PHP to JavaScript. It took me, yeah, it's, it's a lot, to be honest. Um, three months full-time. Um, but now I know all this stuff. <laughs> I had no clue why we need state management in, in a React application. Why? <laughs> that didn't exist in PHP. So, and... Um, React and Redux is still not enough. You need something else. You need some structure. You need some way to have pages and, and also the back button of the browser should work. And server-side rendering, you need some time. That's why you use Next.js. Um, so this is the main stack. Um, uh, React, Redux, Next.js. And this, this somehow makes sense. Yes, there's a learning curve. So people need to understand this, but that is a default stack. That means there are, there are thousands and thousands developers in the market who know exactly that stack. That's why it's not a big problem. Um, it feels somehow weird if you build some f- feature and then you need to need to write reducers and and you you and 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 uh, slices. So it feels like you're building some code which is not exactly the use case because it feels like you're a bit far away mm-hmm. <laughs> from writing the actual HTML. But it, it all makes sense. There's a I mean there, it's done by very very good software engineers. It makes it makes somehow sense um and um S- somehow <laughs> somehow sense yeah. because i like running. a lot
0: of pros and cons right i know um like i once spoke to david Heinemar Henson, for example the, the yeah. inventor of ruby on rails who built i think basecamp and hey.com yeah. both on like purely server side rendered technologies um and it it feels like a like a very rich application still so i like every once in a while i get the feeling that it's like mostly the personal Fun of the engineers writing React um, instead on uh, discovering new technologies um, and not purely business value, if I'm really honest. Like, let's look at Amazon, for example. Is Amazon an SPA? No. Do they have a (laughs) faceted search? Yes. Does it feel good? Yes. So (laughs) I think like the, the question is really... Is it the engineer who who wants this, or is it uh, the business um, that that requires it? Right.
1: Yeah, I was I was before I decided for technology. I was also looking into Ruby and Rails, and they have this nice um, thing where you can uh, react on JavaScript events on the backend side. So you can write everything in Ruby, and you still have a have a, a kind of single page application at the front end, but you do not need to write JavaScript. I was looking into this, and I was deciding against it um, because. Our customers build, build user interfaces that, that will be used by users on, on the browser and also on the mobile app. And for a mobile app, um, there is no server-side rendering HTML. It doesn't exist. So you need to have it running on the mobile phone.
0: If, if you're always and online, um, then it's there.
1: But <laughs> if not... Yeah, but it, it, it doesn't work. It, so a proper, a proper web application needs to run on the client side. That's why I think it makes sense. And and the complexity is high, the effort could be high, but I think the results are really good. And um, yeah, but I, I totally with you. I I I think not for it's some use cases, for some use cases it will be overwhelming. And I mean, I just described the front end part. There's also the back end part. We're using GraphQL as, as our main uh, API approach. <laughs> and, um, and so you have to deal with uh, Apollo Client, Apollo Server, and with microservice you have to think about how you put all these graph- graphs together with a federated graph and then you have to think about how you do authentication how you do authorization so ACL um, how do you uh, how do you persist data and what kind of database use a type orM um, et, cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so the stack has has several layers um, it's a lot of boilerplate code that you write. That's why we, the first thing that we did, we uh, implemented a code generator. <laughs> so you can you can draw your data model and then our code generator will, will generate the entire code that is needed to have a proper, fully working API, including all the demo data and fake data. Um, ah, but it actually it makes sense. So this stack makes totally sense. It's a super nice separation of concerns and you can build really, really powerful applications. Um, I think I wouldn't, so if, if, if I start a new startup and I have only 5,000 Euro budget, then probably this would not be the stack that I'm using. <laughs> but if I use a, if I build an enterprise project and I have half million, then it, it has to be done like this because this is an industry standard. This is the best practices. There's a reason why it's all like this. And yeah, it's also, I mean, otherwise you won't fight. I mean, you will also, you will run into the technical limitations very quickly and you also will not find developers. I mean, nobody wants to work with their application that is implemented on, I don't know, Stand framework <laughs> or, or an old version of Rails, or yeah, um, I think, yeah, you, you will have problems if you do
0: that, yeah, right. I think a- attracting developers these days is much is much easier in Node.js, right? Um, yeah. potentially,
1: yeah, it's it's it, it is there are a lot of people there, they it's hard to find good backend engineers for Node.js. I mean, just because you're able to write Node.js doesn't mean that you know about good software programming principles. <laughs> that is why sometimes I, I interview people who are more on Java side or PHP side, because they know, they know, for example, what an interface is for or what an abstract class is. If you ask a JavaScript developer, they won't give you a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's why I think we need a good mix of, of JavaScript experts and then train them a bit into good coding uh, practices, but also people from other languages who know these practices, they only need to learn JavaScript. And yeah, that's the approach, how we build our team. JavaScript developers are often front-end guys, um, yeah. even if they write Node.js code. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But this is something, it's just a question of time. Um, I think this stack is a very, very powerful, good stack. And, and JavaScript, Node.js is also blazing fast. So I'm from PHP world, I'm not I'm not used to fast programming languages, but Node.js is like 10 times faster. So I tried tried, tried it out, I wrote scripts, yeah. calculating Fibonacci numbers. It's 10 times faster on average. So I think it has almost the speed of Java. And um, that's why I like this language a lot. And it's also much, much faster than Python. That's why even if I would do BI, I would probably consider doing it with Node.js because it's just much, much, much faster.
0: Okay. Um, one thing I heavily dislike about Node.js so that, um, is the fact that there's a lot of replatforming happening in the Node.js ecosystem. So whenever I touch it again, I see, okay, there's like a new top-notch build tool that you have to yeah. use these days, or there's um, a new front-end framework that you rather use instead of, I don't know uh, VueJS or or React and that kind of drives me nuts a bit to be honest um because that can keep you busy uh, just moving from one technology to another all day long right
1: You're you're right this was the reason why I ignored JavaScript for 20 years <laughs> I started learning it in 1999 and then I stopped learning it because it was so bad then it was changing a scriptaculous jQuery and stuff coming stuff coming and, and, and going away i think it's much more mature uh, mature now and it's stabilized so react for example is the market now since how many years five years i'm not sure so it, and, and facebook is behind it so it's like it's i don't think that it will go away very quickly um there may be a new i mean there's, there's something called swelter which i never looked at but i heard it more often there could be more stuff coming yes but i think it's it's a safe bet on the back end side uh, there's a big gap. So we're using this NestJS, which is a good framework, modular framework. And I think it's now the, diff- the, the kind of industry standard, but it's far, far away from, for example, from Laravel. Mm-hmm. So Laravel uh, ecosystem and, and technology is 100 times larger. And um, and I think that's missing. So there is no there's no Laravel or, or Django or Rails for NodeJS. I think this is something which will come for sure. It's an obvious... Uh, in the market it's so obviously it's not even niche I think it could be at some day some big player will go and grab it yeah. so I think Nest.js that is, is huge, maintained yeah. by one guy yeah. uh, and I think at some day there will be a larger company it could be Google, Facebook whatever and put some or put the, the flagship f- framework there it's it's, it's really really missing you you deal with a lot of small tools small libraries you need to maintain a big package JSON um, yeah and our with Laravel this is much nicer but yeah Laravel yeah it's only for server side so it doesn't really help you for building nice front ends so no um, mobile apps
0: so from from your like you have a vast experience um, in in different fields in different areas and you kind of are very hands on still from from the years of experience you had are there any key learnings you you would you would like to pass on to our listeners
1: Um, yeah, my key learning is, um, you should f- uh, first from developer perspective, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, as a developer, you should, um, you should, uh, focus, you should decide on which technology you, you want to focus on. Some people say a good developer knows a lot of languages and a lot of technologies, this is true for, for the older ones, but it's impossible to do that when you're in, the, in your twenties. So that's why I think to decide for your stack. Uh, it could be Ruby, it could be Laravel, could be Node.js, whatever. Decide for your stack, and then uh, dig into it and become expert. That just this will take five years. So do not do not try to to know everything. No way. Each stack is complicated. Each stack is large. Become expert in one stack, and you can yeah, you can be very very strong and earn good money. Um, and then when you're in parallel, you should you should you should learn the basics. So and and what are the basics? Basics. Is object-oriented programming, so you know what a class is, what the interface, what an abstract class is. Uh, you know how to structure a class how a function. You read the Clean Code book from, from Uncle Bob, for sure. It's a two hour read, of course you read that. Uh, you know, of course, solid principles. Not only you heard of it, you know exactly what these five principles. It's just five principles. It takes you maybe half a day to learn it. Of course you know that, of course. I'm asking it in every interview. <laughs> um, you may know the package principles. So learn the basics and and there's for sure much more. Um, um, And I think this is so valuable. You know what an algorithm is. You know what a data structure is. You're you're, you're able to, to, you you know the big O notation of algorithms. These are basics. You learn them in university, but you can also learn them on your own. Um, Do that, learn learn your IDE and learn learn how Git Git is working. So know the basics. and, I forgot yeah. twelve. Fa- Otherwise, 12 just coder. Apps, twelve factor yeah. 12 apps. 12, twelve factor apps, correctly. Otherwise, this is different of of a coder who's just able to produce code, and, and, a, and a serious software engineer. Because if you don't know these basics, you will never become really, really senior level. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. And uh, one more
0: question. Um, I think you you're a guy who also loves tools, um, and uh, or at least that's that's what I, what I feel uh hmm. do you do you have like a tool like I have that every once in a while like airtable um a tool that you recommend to everyone um and you drive everyone nuts with because you recommend it yep. all of the time do you have something like that that you
1: like just love right now yes yes i have I have such a tool <laughs> um, um, let me explain a bit so when I design architecture or or software I'm always start with a data model. So for me, the data model is the most important thing. This has to be right. The code we can change. There could be bugs, but the data model is extremely hard to change. It has to be proper. It's, it's, it's the basic of everything. And um, it's, it's it's really weird that people are not visualizing data models. And I'm using a tool. called DB Schema. Uh, it's drawing very, very nice data models based on existing databases. So you can just plug it on your existing database. It will reverse into the structure and, and give you a nice entity relationship diagram. And that tool is for free. <laughs> um so everybody can use it. It's a brilliant tool. I used MySQL Workbench before, but then I switched to Postgres. This tool was gone. I even used MySQL Workbench when it was named differently before MySQL acquired that, before Sun acquired that tool. So um, and I, I really don't understand why people are not visualizing their data models. So I'm always doing this. I'm always in every workshop you will see me drawing data models with a drawing tool like Gliffy or what something. And then after deployment, I'm using DB Schema to check if everything is right. Everything is. is accordingly um the
0: idea yeah. that's, DB a, that, schema. that's a good tip that's a good tip db schema um so then i i still have like a little surprise for you as a closing question um i actually bought a used car um it's uh, a tesla model s uh, first generation and um it, it was one famous guy selling it to me it was oliver sumber um and mm. it actually has a has a hidden Easter egg um, feature that that Elon Musk personally handcrafted uh, in. It's a time machine button. And um, yeah. we now can step into that car and um, like uh, ride from Berlin to Hamburg. and I actually, on the other way, I uh, let's imagine I, I hit that time machine button. Um, and um, it brings us back to the year 2009 when you just started as a senior developer. Uh, working at Rocket Internet in that like sweatshop working day and night. um, And we observed yourself for a while and you have the chance to whisper something um, into young Fabian's ears. What, what would it be?
1: (laughs) What would it be? Um, (laughs) I'm sure I had good answers sometimes because I reflected all of this and (laughs) let me just think about, so what should it be? Um, I think, um, I think I worked a bit too much at that time, so I could have spent more time with my family. I already had kids at that time. Uh, this is something I would tell. I would. I would um, tell me for sure. Uh, I think I should have asked for for shares at Rocket Internet. Yeah, probably that's my <laughs> biggest biggest mistake. <laughs> I didn't ask you for shares. <laughs> all these e-commerce companies. Yes, that's what I would tell me. I, I think it's a, it's a it's so a it's work a, less, ask for more. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a quite common scheme
0: that uh, techies maybe are not greedy enough sometimes or this don't is, see their own value
1: you asked me before about advice so that's what i, the, I told you my advice for the WordPress. uh my advice for for everyone else is ask for shares <laughs> so
0: <laughs> yeah that's a good advice that's a good advice i think it, it fits the typical cto um very nicely because you often see people from like a Business university sticking together, the team of two, and then searching for a CTO. Right? <laughs>
1: That's yeah, yeah. Ask for shares. Ask for Don't shares. Take, <laughs> That's yeah, good. Take twenty percent less salary. Ask for shares. <laughs> That's a good advice. <laughs> so,
0: Fabian, we we could talk for hours, um, but um, yes. I think uh, one hour and ten is is uh, is a good good time for a podcast. Yes. <laughs> good length for a podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for the discussion, and um, I I hope we can continue it in the in the future. I, I would yes. love seeing your tool in a way, like partly becoming open source so that um, it is actually a platform that everyone could use. Um, let's see if that happens at a certain time. Um, maybe you can surprise us. Um, and
1: uh, yeah, uh, hope hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much, Toby. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye-bye. Let's, and let's meet in person, hopefully after Corona. Yes, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> Bye-bye.